Welcome to the latest episode and the soft reboot, such as it is, of Open World Chat. And I say reboot not just because we have different intro music, also by the amazing Christopher Piatic, but Leanne Allen, my co-host, has sadly decided to take other paths in her life that do not include a podcast. And we will miss her dearly because she's a lot of fun. But speaking of a lot of fun, our new, my new co-host is Jim Dandino. As I was telling him before, a man of many hats, of many dashing hats. One of them is for folks who have been listening to this podcast will already know because he's been a guest. He is a writer for Den of Geek. Uh, which means he is a, a, a bona fide comics and genre journalist. And it means I don't have to know anything when Jim's on here. I can just do a lot of nodding. I can go, hmm, yes, well, that's, I agree. I can agree a lot and I can sound just as smart as he is. Um, I can ask him how he feels about something and I can take a nap and it's going to be all around a great thing. So, so welcome back, Jim, and welcome to your, your new role. And thank you for having me. I'm very excited to join the team. And, you know, the fun thing about being a nerd on the internet, and especially a semi-professional nerd on the internet, is I also don't have to know anything about anything in order to expound at great length about it. So uh, I'm excited to try and bullshit my way through lots of different subjects here. Uh, Yes, but you have the professional skill as to, you know, how to bullshit through as opposed to, you know, someone like me who would just sort of blather and drool. No, I am. I am going to. I'm. I am sharp. I am on point, and you will not be able to tell that I have no idea what I'm talking about. That's a challenge, <laughs> listeners. You've been challenged. No prizes. We're going to hand out no prizes like their <laughs> water. That's your first reference. Mm-hmm. There you go. Classic. They don't do them anymore, do they? No, sadly, Ugh. they don't have a lot of fun anymore. It's, it's not. It's not fun. Come well. Mega bummer. That's an issue for another time and a company for for another time to discuss because we are going to be looking back at the recent DC fandom, which had a lot of announcements and there were aftershocks and there were foreshocks. So it's nice to have this conversation a week after uh, to put some of the, the some of the news that's come out since in perspective, but also talk a little about the news, the big news, the obvious big news, which we'll get to leading into it. Uh, but in the short term, in the immediate term, let's mm-hmm. talk about fandom. Yes. Fandom. Uh, so DC's now, I guess, annual um, comic con substitute, which ran the weekend after New York comic con. Um, and it is, it, it's turning into a very well, it's probably the most well-received online comic con um out there um you know we saw during the pandemic we saw a lot of conventions try and do a virtual thing um you know new york comic-con had their metaverse thing um cci or san diego comic-con had um an online kind of supplement and um people didn't really take to that that much right it's 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 like watching another show especially um with the pre-recorded panels and stuff for some reason though fandom uh, year one blew the doors off. People were um, genuinely surprised at how interesting and effective it was as a really as a as a hype vehicle for um, DC's future publishing and um, visual efforts. Uh, and Fandom Year Two came back um, actually probably more successful than the first. 
um, tripled according to their own internal announcements and, and um, you know, so take it with a grain of salt, but uh, tripled viewership from year one. Oh. Yeah. Um, wow. And uh, you know, had a lot of um, really interesting hype coming out of it. Um, we got the first trailer for uh, the Batman for Robert Pattinson's uh, and Matt Reeves new Batman entry. We got a uh, first look at some footage from the flash, which is going to be flashpoint. We saw the back of Michael Keaton's head. Very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, teaser footage from black Adam. Uh, you know, we saw the rock um, desiccated guy with electricity, which was really cool. We saw um, some, some, um, production art from Blue Beetle, some stills from Aquaman and Shazam 2. Um, we got news on uh, n- the new animated features. Uh, Battle of the Super Sons is something that's pretty exciting for me. Uh, and we got a bunch of TV stuff. We got the trailer for the new Peacemaker show. We got some info on a Batman the Animated Series prequel uh, in Cape Crusader. We got some comic stuff. Uh, we got a bunch of uh, interesting stuff out of Milestone Comics, which I'm, I'm excited to talk about. Uh, and you know, it, it was just, you know, I think with a year of, of lead time, a year of planning, um, they were able to, um, do a little bit better job at organizing the flow of information to make it more exciting for people. Um, this one had a lot of good stuff in it coming out of it and, and it was set up so that it really kind of supercharged the hype train on a lot of these projects. What did you think? Yeah, no, I mean, it did. They, they did a good job in a sense. They did a good job in terms of production of, of organization of material. They didn't linger too long on, but can I just say, I, I just, I can't stand the, the format. I can't stand the variety show, like the, the mm-hmm. supermodel presenters up there saying, Oh, and we know if you're as big a fan as I am, I'm saying, Oh, come on. Yeah. You didn't know any of this stuff before you, you got the gig and you studied the script. I mean, don't insult my intelligence. You know, I, I guess I see something like this or I go to it and I want it to be, I want it to be something like, you know, the Nintendo direct thing, you know, where they, where they announce who's going to be on smash brothers, you know, and yeah. uh, just something a little more, a little more down to earth, a little bit more inclusive of me rather than being the glitzy stage show. But that's just me. That's just me. I'm, I, I, I think that's that's totally fair. I think that um, we are the demographic that they can absolutely take for granted, though, um, because we are here no matter what they do, right? Mm-hmm. I think that the glitzy stage show. I think that the celeb the, the celebrities with the crossover appeal. Um, you know, the, those people are there to talk to people who are not us because we know what they're doing. We read previews when it comes out. We are plugged into all of the websites with the casting rumors and the behind the scenes shots and the, you know, the leaked previs special effects shots and, and stuff like that. We know all of this stuff. We're not the ones that they need to talk to. Um, the ones that they need to talk to are the ones who are going to get excited by Serena Williams showing up in a wonder woman tribute, you know? So yeah. I'm, I'm cool with it. All, I, it, all it, six of those people who tuned in, it was for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, well, the nice thing, the nice thing about this one is um, that they let it run for, for what was it was 48 hours. Um, and I think that's one of the that's one of the ways where fandom um, outpaced some of the other digital comic cons is that um, the availability of the content was much more is much more restricted than the other comic cons, whereas fandom, you have a schedule and you know, 
like if you if you want to watch something, you know when it's going to come back around if you missed it the first time. So, yeah. I mean, you don't get that kind of live interaction. That, that no, it, and that's no. that's what's great about the cons. Honestly, the news is great. I love the news. You could put out the news in any one of a you know half dozen other ways, and it often is. But that's sort of personal. You know, I'm in the room with the person. I'm seeing them off the cuff. Uh, you know, it'll never it'll never replace that. Absolutely. I go to, I go to comic book conventions. I don't go to comic book conventions for the news. I don't go to the comic book conventions for the panels. Honestly, I use the panels as a chance to sit down in the middle of the con. Um, it's, I go to the, the cons to shop and to hit artist alley. Um, that, that's what, that, that's what the, the joy of being at a comic book convention is to me is having a chance to get that kind of FaceTime with the folks who made the stuff that I love and not sit there and, and listen to, you know, scripted marketing pitches. Well, I'd like to say that was my um, curmudgeonly comment for the the conversation here, but I seriously doubt that's true. We're both old white dudes. It's going to (laughs) happen. I think we just need to resign ourselves to the fact that we're going to end up complaining about something. And somebody on the internet is going to tell us that we're yelling at clouds and... That's all right. Complaining is what sets us apart from the animals. I'm all for Absolutely. You don't see monkeys bitching. (laughs) (laughs) Losers. (laughs) So the hype didn't hype going in didn't always match the hype coming out, and I'm thinking of all the build up and everything for uh, Gotham Knights for the 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 Arkham the video game sequel, and um, that was one of the things I was most hyped about. Yeah, and I didn't. I haven't heard any response at all. It's like yeah, I thought. It, I mean, it's 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 you know. Built around the court of uh, owls, which is mm-hmm. you know sort of obvious place to go with this format. It's it's got the same developers as the first one, so you know it's got that aesthetic. You know it's going to be good. We didn't get any sense of gameplay. Um, is it same developers as the first one, or same developers as Arkham Origins? Same developers as the first one. Okay. Um, what is Arkham it? Origins uh, was bad. Yeah. WB Games Montreal or something that okay. did have a little bit of involvement in the second one, but I mean, so they say. I have no wow. idea what, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are both terrific games that exceeded expectations, and you know, again, make me ask why things like animation, video games, uh, these sort of you know peripheral peripheral media to the core product here. Why is DC so much better than than, than Marvel? The peripheral media because they keep more of it, I think, tightly controlled. Um, I don't. You can't control I, more tightly than Ike well, Perlmutter did. Um, I... Ike, no, Ike farmed out a ton of stuff. Ike controlled whether or not girls showed up in it, but other than that, he, <laughs> he let them do whatever they wanted. Right? <laughs> oh, um, okay. You know, he. Wait, that's not fair. He also ruined the Marvel Capcom games, but. <laughs> that's a that's a totally different episode for me to get mad about um but like creatively i feel like dc's uh, video games and and especially their animation have been much more closely aligned at least to the values of the comics um uh, on the animation side i think it's because of the legacy of batman the animated series um i think that that is a, just a juggernaut in the history of um, American animation and, and the, the kind of one of the endpoints of history in superhero animation. Um, I think that 
you cannot possibly overstate um, the importance of Batman the Animated Series to everything that came after, even if it was a response to it as opposed to a continuation of it. So um, having that as like one of the pillars of their external, um, their animation department, then informs everything that they do moving forward. And that, because that was so, because it was so, it wasn't even, it wasn't even faithful to the comics. It changed how the comics were. Um, You know, the the comics, everything, everything reacted to Batman, the animated series. So, um, you know, as the comics became more faithful to the animated series and then everything that followed stayed faithful to Batman, the animated series, they were also, then being faithful to what DC was trying to do in the comics. Um, the games too. I, I mean, you want to talk about faithful to the animated series, you bring in, you, they have most of the voice cast um, doing Arkham Asylum that mm-hmm. was doing Batman, the animated series, right? Like it, it is, it, it is just uh, more than anything else, more than the Keaton Batman movies, more than the Bale Batman movies. I think Batman, the animated series is the thing that casts the shadow on the cave wall when we're talking about comic book, um, comic book media. Um, and, and I yeah. think that because that's, because that's what everything is chasing. I think that that's why you have the, you have that, that greater degree of faithfulness. Yeah. Marvel and- doesn't have Marvel. Mar- the closest thing Marvel has to that is the X-Men, the animated series and the <laughs> Marvel's efforts to gut the X-Men franchise over the decade before house of X um, yeah. d- effectively eliminated that, that show's influence. Yeah. And of course, you know, the justice league cartoon was in the shadow of the, you know, same creative team, but it then cast its own shadow. I think right. it, it, so now we've, that, that shadow is waning, but they're, they're going to try, we're getting an attempt to uh, re shadow. Uh, I ran, I'm sorry. My descriptors ran out there, but <laughs> <laughs> just wandered off. Well, I, I think, I think, I think they're trans- actually transitioning into teen Titans go. Um, I, I think that Teen Titans Go is because you see Teen Titans Go now starting to kind of infect the way that other uh, infect other other stories, right? You have the Teen Titans Go DC Superheroes Girl crossover that they've announced. You have Teen Titans versus Teen Titans Go, which already came out. Teen Titans mm-hmm. Go to the movies, which was basically Mystery Science Theater three thousand, but with the Teen Titans in it. Um, you know, you have. Um, you, you so that I mean, Harley Quinn is kind of just an adult version of Teen Titans Go, right? It's the same kind of that. it's the same kind of humor, just filthy, right? Like it's the same <laughs> it's the same humor sensibility, just just really really dirty about it. Um, yeah. So I think that I think that maybe uh, you're right that that the animated series and Justice League are starting to wane a little bit. But I think that Teen Titans Go is is what's starting to supplant it well except we're getting the cape crusader cartoon right and we've had and and actually to be completely fair we've had um the animated series adventure adventures continue running in the comics for um the last year or so too which and it's been very good yeah Um, but they're trying to they're trying to get that back now in in, including uh you know bringing in bruce tim to do it mm -hmm. yes cool Keep so, <laughs> yeah, seriously, <laughs> although one does wonder, um, you know, Bruce Tim Unchained brought us that uh, that last season or so, I guess, of the of the old uh, series, the old Batman series. Mm-hmm. And uh, what am I trying to think of? The Killing Joke. 
cartoon? I'm not. I've, I'm doing my absolute best to wipe the movie adaptation of Killing Joke from my memory. So thank you for reminding me of it. It was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible, but it was that thing that everyone always accused Bruce Tim of is this, this weird desire to, to, to get Batman and Batgirl together. Yeah. And that that yep. was something that he was held back on over the years that then you started to see when he had room and then boom, you know, yep. oh my God. No, uh, not, no thank you. He no, like made up for lost you. time. I don't know. So. That's fine. Keep it all there. Keep it all yeah, there. Right. So right? Like are, if, we're talking we gonna... about a, if we're talking about a Batman, the animated series prequel, she's going to be 14 in this. Um, so uh, I think if the world has moved past John Byrne, then I'm pretty sure that the world has also moved past this being a thing that's going to happen on screen. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, I hope so. Are we going to be, or are we going to be looking forward to that? Um, no, I, I don't. I just the math just doesn't really check out if it's going to be an actual prequel to the show. I mean, she was still, she was hiding security cameras in her teddy bears when she was introduced in the cartoon. Uh, if you, you, you don't, you, you can't walk, you can't walk back further from that and have Batman and Batgirl be a thing without it being incredibly problematic. And DC does not seem like, um, DC leadership of late does not seem like they would have very much tolerance for something like that. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, you would know that better than I, obviously, with your with your nose in the industry like that. Um, yeah, do we want to talk about, speaking of, do we want to talk about the comics? Because, like, they've had uh, a banger, they had a banger of a, a fandom on the comic side between Superman um, and John Kent right before it. The milestone announcement and the new... Um, Gene Yang, Bernard Chang, Monkey Prince book, uh, mm-hmm. and the War of the Amazons, which I think they're starting to lead into um, this week when they opened up the Well of Souls and started introducing trans women to mm-hmm. Themyscira. So, um, these, you know, DC Comics has been kind of hitting on all cylinders in the last month or so, and yeah. fandom fandom was, I think, one of one of the high points. Um, you want to talk about Superman a little bit? Cause it made all of the right people really angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Superman, Superman. Uh, that was the foreshock going into it. And uh, I was kind of wondering this, whether they were going to sort of move on by it or really double down on it in fandom. And they doubled down. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, proud of, proud of what they're doing. And it's, it's, you know, it's an interesting title now, not just because we have a new Superman who is by. And I will, I will say this. I am a fan of Taylor's writing. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. um, I really liked his Wolverine book um, when he was writing Laura um, and I deceased hit just right. His friendly neighborhood Spider-Man was um, outstanding, uh, really unsung, um, but unsung book. That was one of the best Spider-Man books that's been published in the last decade or so. Um so his Superman has been hitting very well for me. Um, you know, the, to have him, to, to let him do this, uh, to let him make John buy, um, I think is, it sends a message about 
it sends the same kind of message that changing the motto from truth, just, justice and the American way to um, what is it? Truth, justice and a better tomorrow. Uh, a better tomorrow. Yep. Yeah. Um, it, it change it. First of all, changing it back, changing the model back to that, because as my editor at Den of Geek will tell you, um, that's what it was before World War II and before um, Frederick Wortham got his Ooh, I had paws. no idea. Yes. Uh, it was Truth, Justice, and a Better Tomorrow originally. It got changed to Truth, Justice, and the American Way to sell war bonds during World War II. Uh, changed back after the war, but then they changed it back to Truth, Justice, and the American Way. I think, uh, I think you said when um frederick wortham spooked the comics industry yeah. so this is an originalist superman it absolutely is <laughs> weird how some, weird how people are originalists about some things and not others hmm. um no but i i think i think dc sending a message about um who they value about the audiences that they value um and i i like how they're doing it with the, with the stories that they're telling um i also like how they're doing it with the their hiring practices. Um, I like, I, I like that they fired the colorist on Superman um, mm. for being a vicious, nasty homophobe about after pretending he wasn't for a while. Yep, after pretending he wasn't. Um, mm. I like uh, Aaron Lepresti's wife going on Twitter and complaining about how DC won't hire anybody associated with comics gate anymore. Um, I think wow. that that's a, I, I, but like, you know what, they're, they're talking the talk and they're walking the walk. Yeah. Um, you know, this is not, this is not them introducing a, you know, a, a bisexual tertiary character in a mini series and then shuffling them off into the background. This is not having a main character kiss a girl once and then never, never addressing her sexu- sexuality again for the next 20 issues, uh, like other companies have done. Um, this is they are they are making moves to make their um, their their character lineup more inclusive. They are making a, a concerted effort to um, make their um, their publishing line more diverse, and they are they are sending a message to people that that not only do we value you, not only do we want you to tell these stories with us, um, but we also want to make sure that you're safe and that you're, that you feel like we're valued, that you feel like we value you and not just that we are trying to cash in on your identity. So yeah, it's you know, for what it's worth, there's, for, there's no for, ethical consumption under capitalism, but whatever. <laughs> well, I've been, you know, and I shouldn't be, I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth, but I've actually been surprised by the reaction, the negative reaction, the put the pushback, on this. Uh, I shouldn't be anymore. Why? I mean, there's no limits to the pushback on this, but uh, you know, people, you know, that I, that, that I think I know on social media and, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people, and this is a whole other argument. I don't think this would be a big deal either, but a lot of people are approaching it like it's a, some sort of retcon and because they don't know, they don't know what's going on in the comics. It's not a retcon. This is a new character and we're learning about this character. And this is an aspect of this character and go with it, you know, learn like the rest of us. It's, um, yeah. it's, it's an interesting character and this part trust, of it. Trust the storytellers to tell their story. And I think, I think you're right. I think that some of them are not actually invested in the comics and they're getting whipped up about it by secondary reporting. Um, and those folks, you know, 
it's it's the same problem that the rest of society has. You don't need to have an opinion on every single thing just because you know your Facebook feed told you something was happening. Um, but at the same time, I, I think I, I feel like inside the tent, right? That the comic, the actual comics community, and not the people that are outside the comics community reacting to this. I think that they are mostly okay with it. Um, mm. I don't feel like I don't feel like there's. I feel like there is a as as vocal a reaction in support of it as there is opposed to it, which is a little bit different from in the past where mm-hmm. um, I think that the the bigots and the hate mongers have been able to successfully drown out the the decent folks yes. on issues like this. Um, you know, I think not- it overshadows um, the real <laughs> the really more interesting discussion in in this comic in this title is that here you've got Taylor taking on what is quite possibly the unwritable comics plot. We have Superman engaging in real world politics and, Mm -hmm. or at least, you know, the comic version of them, Uh, but still they're recognizable as real world politics. This is always, you know, the conversation, one of the water cooler conversations about comics. Well, you know, if, if I was Superman, I'd do this, or why doesn't Superman, you know, worry about this, you know, you know, massacre in this country or, or this, you know, political situation. And, you know, you don't, it's part, it's part of why you, you create, you bottle up these characters into cities right. but then become, even if they're New York, they become somewhat, you know, fantastical, but right. so he's stepping out of that and there's only going to be so far you can go with that. And so I'm assuming at some point he's going to step back from it or I've, I'm fascinated. I'm loving it. It's it yeah. could be a writing rabbit hole, though, uh, and it might be hard to step back from. It's I mean, it's the unwritable story. I mean, you think he's up to it? I I do think he's up to it. He's ta- he's tackled some. Uh, I mean, he did an issue about a kid with cancer in Spider Man, and it was just heartbreak. It was just brutal to read. It was the the hardest I've ever cried at a comic book before. Um, but he pulled it back to regular Spider-Man stuff, like the next issue. Right. Um, I think the superhero comics make it, uh, they have an easy out in that as soon as you don't want to talk about climate change anymore, you can have Lex Luthor in a giant robot attack downtown Metropolis. And then all of a sudden Superman's off dealing with that. Um, I am sympathetic to the argument that introducing real world politics breaks the format a little bit mm-hmm. um, because realistically speaking in a world with super scientists, climate change shouldn't be a thing. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean the idea that, you know, Superman and steel and rip Hunter and all of these, you know, geniuses and time travelers, haven't figured out a way to suck a bunch of carbon out of the atmosphere and drop it in the ocean floor is ridiculous on its face. Um, For me, the reason why interjecting some of these real world politics, as long as it's handled kind of delicately and and only kind of great glanced upon um, the reason why interjecting these real world politics into the book, uh, especially on climate change, is because you hear these climate scientists out there saying the most important thing you can do 
as an individual, on an individual level, the most important thing that you can do to address climate change is to just not stop talking about it, um, to make sure that, that people are hearing about it constantly, are mm-hmm. understanding that it's an issue, that it makes it harder for the denialists, that makes it the, the background kind of buzz and need to address the issue um, even stronger. I think that having Superman address it in the book directly is valuable. I think that there is yeah. story well, value and I think that there is societal value. Sure. I think the, I, don't the get immigration thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm all for that too. Um, there's a, there's a catharsis to the superhero experience that I, you know, I think that stuff needs to be in there sometimes, yeah. you know, I, I think back on when, uh, what's his name? Uh, Babylon five guy. I don't want Straczynski. Straczynski. Oh, grounded. Oh my God. Well, when he was, when he had his, his Thor run, and I always think of the scene where you had this, this conflict in, in Africa, it was supposed to, it was an ethnic conflict. It was reflecting what was in the news and Thor comes down and boom, you know, he's got the Odin power. Then he splits open the earth. It was extremely cathartic, but this is different. This is not a scene or a moment or a story arc. This right. is this is Superman committing to being this kind of Superman. Right. That's a whole different that's, I mean that's what I'm afraid might be the the unwritable story is that character. I mean, he did used to wear jeans and a t-shirt and punch the hell out of industrialists, right? Like <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about going back to Superman's roots, mm-hmm. Superman was kind of very explicitly left-wing populist. Um, when he was first introduced um, and, and only again in the, you know, in the fifties was he kind of dragged towards that jingoistic nationalistic um, issueless boy scout, um, yeah, you know, and, and, and I, I don't, I think that, I think that out of all of them, I think that Superman is the best equipped to do that. Right. Like I think that, um, why doesn't Superman stop climate change is the same kind of argument as like, why doesn't Batman just buy crime? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that Superman addressing climate change in his comic is much more uh, in line with the kind of Superman stories that, um, that have been told historically than, you know, a, a comic book about, um, Batman investing some of his fortune in, in support services, which to be fair, we're also getting in Tom Taylor's Nightwing right now where Taylor is using, uh, has Nightwing using the fortune that he inherited from Alfred to set up a social safety net in Bloodhaven. Oh, I need to read that. I have not. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And the last issue that just came out, um, has art from Robbie Rodriguez. That is just unbelievably good. It's really Nightwing is Nightwing is definitely on my best of the year list. Well, I'll take year. a look because I, you know, I, I worry about the whether Taylor has the skill to to keep this going. But I I too have a lot of faith in him. So and I'm I mean it's making Superman to me the most exciting you know regular you know mainstream big two comic out there right now. I'm uh, I'm loving it. Good stuff. If Inferno wasn't coming out right now, I'd be in the same boat. <laughs> But I do like my I do like my angry power lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's um, talk so about a, yeah a milestone. Yeah, let's talk about milestone. 
Yeah. So um, Milestone uh, has been humming along both in reprint form at DC, um, reprinting the old Dwayne McDuffie and Dennis Cowan and, and Derek Dingle and, and the rest of the crew, uh, reprinting the old stuff on DC Universe and printing updated season one versions of the classic Milestone characters. Uh, you've got a Static Shock book from um, Vita Ayala, Nick Draper, Ivy and Criss Cross. Uh, you have, I forget who's doing Icon. I know Reggie Hudlin is doing the scripting for Icon. Um, and, and they're, they're fantastic now. Um, we've we got, got Blood Syndicate coming. Blood Syndicate is coming. Um, we know, no update on who's um, doing it. We have uh, Milestone crossing over into other media. We're going to get a Milestone animated feature written by Brandon Thomas, who is having himself quite a year. Uh, and we have a static movie. Uh, in the works with the script, I think already delivered, they said. Um, and we have the, uh, what is the milestone initiative where yeah. they are, where DC is actively recruiting um, artists and writers of color uh, to train them up on how to uh, make comics the DC way mm-hmm. and then providing them with opportunities to be published, I think. So that is really exciting because yeah. that if they, I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, looking into what they're going to do, it's it's actually a little bit more baby step than maybe it sounded uh, on the announcement. But still, uh, if if something like this develops more, and if if Marvel follows suit, you could really see a not just a transformation of you know the 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 look of the comics creators assembled here, but what they've been wanting, which is more of a, of a transformation of the of the audience, which. I mean, has been happening organically, clearly. Right. Uh, but they'd like to kick that into overdrive um, because they need readers. <laughs> well, and, and they need readers, but you need you need to. I mean, you've been telling the same stories with the same characters for mm-hmm. 70, 80 years now. You need fresh eyes. Um, you know, you need people who are bringing different uh, perspectives and different baggage to the stories that they're telling with Superman and with Wonder Woman and with Batman. Um, otherwise you're going to keep getting the same stories told over and over again, and you're going to have to reboot the universe every five years, like they've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, um, I'm a little bit concerned in that, um, I don't want it homogenizing individual styles. Um, you know, we'll have to see how they actually train these folks. Um, I think the value to having, um, a diverse crew of artists and, and writers making your comics is that you can get three different books that look and read three different ways. And the more they kind of funnel folks towards a house style, the less that value, the less that value is, is, um, is maximized. I don't think that's what they're going to do though. Yeah. They need to go full on Kubert school to do something like that. I think, which I, and I think they're partnering with the Kubert school a oh, bit for some of it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's not, uh, you know, I, I think that as long as they're encouraging distinct voices, I think that, it, I think that, that, that is something that I'm not going to have to worry too much about. Um, I also, I'm really excited about kind of a, um, formal training structure for comics, um, not to be too much of a downer, but like, I think one of the things that the Warren Ellis, um, problems, um, exposed, for lack of a better term about the comics industry as a whole is that the, um, the who, you know, factor was so important to people breaking into comics um, that mm. 
it was really ripe for abuse. Um, I think that opening up, um, you know, the, the milestone training program provides a pathway for people to get into mainstream superhero comics, into working in mainstream superhero comics that isn't necessarily based on being friends with somebody already famous on their message board. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll, um, that'll protect the new creators a little bit better too. That'll, you know, they, they won't be subject to, um, you know, the whims of, of the people that are providing them with the opportunities in the same kind of way. Uh, I think that, I think anything that can be done to professionalize the comics workforce is really valuable. I'd be, um, I'd be curious how this developed behind the scenes because, uh, you know, they said they were partnering with Ally and I'm thinking, boy, Ally, that sounds like a nonprofit or something. You know, it's this, it's this, you know, giant virtual bank, yep. uh, which means probably Warner, the DC isn't, isn't putting any, isn't putting much or any of their own money into it. So it's, it's, it's no risk for them. Right. Exactly. Like the less, uh, honestly, like, I really like the way things are going right now at DC and the less the suits have to worry about what they're doing, the more freedom they're going to have to do fun, inventive stuff. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Partner with whoever you want, let them fund it as long as you keep making it. And I, I don't, I don't think you can understate the difference that having Marie Javins at the helm has made. Um, Javins is um, an old timeline worker, right? She is one of the best colorists at was one of the best colorists at Marvel in the eighties and nineties. Um, and is, has kind of moved up through, um, the ranks and, and done a bunch of different jobs in the comics industry until now she's finally become, um, the editor in chief of DC. And since basically since the first books that she started, um, editing as editor in chief had started hitting, you've seen a marked difference in, DC's publishing output. You see different voices. You see experimental formats. They are doing a ton of anthologies now, and the anthologies are letting them tell a ton of different kinds of stories. Um, you're seeing uh, different writers and artists, um, you know, telling stories in different ways, and and you're seeing different content in the books. And I think that that's all been brought about because she's there. She's been able to. She's enabling that, right? Um, mm. and I think that, I think that she has been just a breath of fresh air over there. It's, it, it is, you know, and, and we're talking about, we're talking about all of this, um, external stuff creatively inside the books. This is the freshest they felt since DCU. Um, this is the, this is the freshest that these books have felt since Dr. Fate and Omega Man and, um, new Superman were coming out, uh, were first coming out. And uh, it, it's just, it's a really good time to be reading DC comics. And it doesn't it seem, it doesn't seem like, doesn't seem like there's anything bad on the immediate horizon, which is why as comic book fans, we should be terrified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've been a bit of historically, a bit of a Marvel zombie in the old traditional sense of the word. And uh, DC is pretty exciting these days. Yeah. So before we go, cause we're running out of time, let's just do a, a quick rundown on those trailers. Uh, yes. Just a, a quick, what do you think? Uh, the, the, why don't we start with the fun one, the peacemaker? I'm a hundred percent. in. I love the suicide squad. I think that John Cena is one of the funniest people. Uh, one of the most unexpectedly funny people um, working in, in film right now. Um, and I am, I'm very interested to see what sort of uh, zany and terrible stuff they force him to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm with you. I've, I don't know. This, 
none of the suicide squads have ever really interested me, but I'm, I'm into this. I'm on board. I'm fully on board. Yeah. Um, all right. So what about Batman? I mean, I'm going to see it. It looks like every other Batman movie, except for the <laughs> Zack Snyder one, which is a plus, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I have a lot of worries about this. I'll, I'll be honest. From the look of it, it, it almost seems like we're going to have Catwoman civilizing Batman, which, you know, I hope yeah. that's wrong. Um, it did bug me when Matt Reeves is there um, saying, well, you know, all these these Batman stories, you know, they're always like, you know, some of, you know, later in life and they, they get into almost fantasy. We thought, you know, what about looking at a younger Batman? And, you know, we, we go straight back to and borrow from Batman year one. And I'm like, dude, did you see, did you see Batman begins? They lived Literally, the whole the same movie. Literally the same movie. <laughs> our, fo- our folks are speculating that it might be hush, but um, I would be, there's a lot about Hush that is not adaptable. Yeah. Um, and I, I think if, you, if you're just taking the mystery of the Hush comics, you are completely missing the point of the Hush story um, because the mystery was terrible. Jeff Loeb can't actually write mystery. He's really bad at it. The Long Halloween is bad. Anyway, um, I, I, don't think, I, I don't think it's Hush. I think it's just a kind of a gritty Riddler story. There's, a, there's enough there are enough really good actors in it where it's going to probably be a good movie regardless. It just doesn't excite me the same way that it's, it's not what I'm looking for. Yep. Uh, so now what about, um, you know, speaking of dark uh, black Adam? Uh, I don't think that, I mean, look, the, that movie is going to have the justice society in it. Um, so I don't Somewhat. think, I don't, I don't think that that clip is necessarily reflective of what the whole movie is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a movie that the rock's been in that hasn't been very entertaining at least. So I'm there. Um, you know, that, that's said the teaser footage didn't really do it for me. Um, but that's, that's not what I'm expecting the movie to look like. I thought, Shazam, I thought the first Shazam was great. Yeah, I did too. And I'm one of these, you know, old grouchy, you know, grouchy, I'm grouchy. I'm like, how can you have Black Adam in his, you know, premiere in his own movie? Where, where is he in Shazam? What's going on? And I see the intro and it's like, you know, how are you going to make this guy sympathetic when the first thing he shows up is does is like murder a bunch of people. But, you know, I thought about it and I'm like, well, all those people are probably going to be bad. Yeah. Um, and they're going to they're going to have it coming so that's all right yeah. and then i was just like you know what this looks like fun i need to get over myself only yeah. you know the really old people say well that's not my black adam yeah whatever <laughs> I, I, I was that guy for a while um yep. you know the marvel movies gave me plenty of this is my fill in the blank you know yep. they, they all look so familiar yeah, all right out of the comics. Okay, I've had my fix. I'm, fine. I'm I'll take it either way now. Just give me a good yep. movie. Yep, I'm fine. I, <laughs> I I I'm there for it, even if it even if it's not necessarily tickling my fancy yet. I have mm-hmm. faith that I have faith that it's going to be something that's interesting. What about Flash? I can't get excited about Flash. I mean, I'm excited to see Michael Keaton. There's the difference yeah. between that and being excited about the actual movie. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, 
couldn't we have taken or it's it's not going to be flashpoint it's going to be something with flashpoint's name smacked on it inspired by flashpoint um but you know we did that in on tv and And it was great i was great i loved crisis i thought i think that the i think that the dc tv crossovers are a highlight every year Mm -hmm. um this is just not it doesn't have the same joy yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, but again, Keaton, excited. I'll, yeah, I'll, sure. I'll go for I'll that. I'll be there. there. I'll be there. Yep. All right. So we're done for this this time around. Starting next time, you'll start seeing that that parade of strange random guests uh, like we've had before. But uh, we'll be a little less NPR and a little more uh, a little more geeky for you. We may have uh, lost our way a little bit the last couple, although. Although they were sure interesting. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. We'll get some good stuff for you. All right. All right. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon.